Hi, everybody. This is Scott Anderson from Warrior Academy Yoga. This podcast is sponsored by Athena Wellness and Weight Loss. There are two things that keep me in the peak of health. One of them is my yoga practice, and the other thing is Athena. Athena Wellness and Weight Loss specializes in weight loss management, body contouring, as well as an extensive shot bar and other services that will keep you slim, strong, and healthy. I hope you'll check them out. Their web address is athenawellnessandweightloss.com. Again, that is athenawellnessandweightloss.com. And now here's the podcast. Okay, guys, show us what you got. The two of us together, forget it. You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. This is bullshit. I'm not listening to this. You are insane. No, you're insane. Remember, this is not a competition, although you two seem to be the best in the class. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. It's the stories that you tell. So much fun and imagination. You're looking at your claws and you're looking at your fangs and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know how to kill the bunny. With this, you don't know how to kill the bunny. Do you know what I mean? What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. And remember, no one has the right to touch you in your bathing suit area. What? Are we fucking ready? Roll camera. Action! Hello, everybody. This is Scott Anderson from Warrior Academy Yoga. As always, I'm joined by my best buddy, Jeff Suskin. Hello. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. Just survived two days of massive storms. One of them happened at Top Taco. Your big event. Big event. Well, now we have another big event. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We have an amazing person that has come into Denver to meet with us and also to do uh, some great seminars here this weekend. And we're joined today by uh, Paul Selig, who is... It's not really fair to say the author, is it? I mean, it is, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to say that and I'm going to let you correct me. So Paul Selig is the author of I Am the Word. And in addition to the book of love and creation and the third book, the book of knowing and worth. And I'm so excited that you're here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So I guess we should start there. The the cover of the book that I'm looking at right now, I Am the Word, says a channeled text. Uh-huh. So you don't claim authorship of this. So why don't you go ahead and tell our audience what it is that you do? Well, I'm a channel. You know, I work as, as, as a conscious channel and as an intuitive. And the books actually are the transcripts of dictations, of oral dictations that happen over the course of weeks. So I Am the Word was actually dictated in channeling sessions over about 15, 16 days, and the type transcripts are the books. So you can say that I'm a psychic, but really I'm working with guides that are teachers that are actually teaching through me, and the teachings um, are coming in the form of books. And all of these books were basically transcribed from Mm -hmm. your channels Mm -hmm. and completely unedited. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been a rule, yeah. That's one of, the, you say, a rule. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's sort of their directive to you? I think it was a mutual directive. My feeling was that if it was a channel text, it was a channel text. It wasn't a text that was fixed. 
you know, and it wasn't a text that was altered to make it more accessible or more, you know, easily appreciated by an audience. So the guides dictate the words that they use are the words that are in the text. I think in the newest book, which is going to be out in January, there was one word that I know was changed. They said, I think, prohibitative. And I think the the, the intention was prohibitive. Right. Um, and things like that I may change, but that's maybe 10 words in a, in a, in a book of many, many thousands and thousands of words. So it's, it's the unedited transcripts. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very much in awe of how this works, mm-hmm. but I also am curious on a very practical level it, it, because you live in New York mm-hmm. and uh, you're published from New York. Mm-hmm. So d- do you have some editor, somebody who's just like, no, this needs to be fixed or, or really did they lucky. really understand? I'm really, really fortunate. The guides at the end of the first book, um, and I don't think this was part of the book, I think it was after the dictation was done, they said uh, to this woman, Victoria Nelson, who's been on the phone, she's been listening um, for all the books. So there's always an active listener. It's very, it's impossible for me to just channel to an empty room. Somebody has to be listening so that it's focused. Oh, gotcha. Um, and they said, you know, this book will be published. And at the time, I had no idea. I wasn't channeling a book to be published. I was doing what I was instructed to do, which is my guide said, they had a book to write, and if I took two weeks, they would do it. And then I took two days off to go teach because I teach college as well. So it was like two and a half weeks. And then they said, this will be published, and it's the first publisher. And don't they said, small metaphysical press and don't haggle. Those were the instructions, and that was it. And the book was then typed up, and Vicki proofed it. She proofed my transcript. Right. And um, I had been invited to chat to channel at the um, the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California, at a, something called the Center for the Center for Theory and Research, it's an invi- it's an inv- invitational conference that happens there, and it was the first time really that I was invited to channel outside of my living room, um, you know, or between a small group of people, and I brought the book with me in manuscript form, and the editor in chief of Tarcher Penguin happened to be speaking at the conference as well, took the manuscript with him. His name is Mitch Horowitz, and he I think he emailed me from the airplane or something saying, this is pretty amazing. And then the next email was, when can you come into my office? And wow. it was on the shelf within months. Wow. Um, but he really got, really gets the integrity of the work. And it's very important to him that it not be edited either. In fact, when he gives the manuscript over to the copy editing department at Tarcher, he says hands off, and occasionally I'll see fairly obviously that I dropped a word in the transcript uh-huh. while typing when I was, you know, half asleep. And the copy editor said, "Well, that must be what the guides want." So um, it's a, it's very carefully done. Uh-huh. Um, but no, he's not messing with it at all. I think I'm fortunate because I think another publisher might well say, "Well, you know, do a whole exactly. book on relationships and how to get over, you know, such and such problems." It's not that my guides can't talk about that, right? But if this is a channel book, it's a channel book. It's not an inspired book. And I think inspired writing is wonderful. You can be completely inspired and then, you know, edit and change and, and, and use all that. That's not what this is. Mm-hmm. These are documents, really. What's interesting is when we're talking in the car is we're talking about personality. Uh-huh. You know, you're telling us about how the, uh, the guides have personality mm-hmm. so that you can better understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't seem a part of your personality, which is really strange. I don't know if I could do that, where 
if I had these guides talking to me, I think I'd probably be, and they're telling me really worthwhile stuff. I would probably speak about it as if it was a part of me. And it seemed very separate. That's my experience of it. Now, it's not that I can't be linked in at a higher level and be talking a lot like the guides as Paul, but there's a real distinction when I'm interpreting the teaching as opposed to when they're teaching. And very often I'll try to interpret the teaching and think I'm doing a great job and I'll, and I'll hear, well, that was very good, but, and uh-huh. they'll come in with what they would really like to be understood. So but, they're sarcastic. No, they're not sarcastic <laughs> at all. They, they're very funny and I think appreciative of my efforts, uh-huh. but I think it's important that what their intention is, is rendered as they intend it. That was really one of my questions mm-hmm. uh, about your guides is yeah. they have a sense of humor? Seems so. Yeah, you see, because you said the question was about personality. Yeah. And, and Jeff was sort of interested, like, do they have personality? And you said something interesting on our drive over here about how <laughs> it's not really personality so much as it's character because personality is sort of a construct mm-hmm. of being human. Yeah. But they said, well, they, you know, somebody in a live stream, because I do these live streams on Wednesdays, um, and, you know, there's usually an opportunity for people, the guides will lecture, you know, and do energy work, and then people can ask questions. And some guy said, was asking about personality and the survival of personality, or do we keep our personalities as we go on? And are they said, maybe the guides, do you have personalities? I don't remember the question. It's actually in the, in the next book, because it was such a good question, we used it. And the whole the whole live stream was included, actually, unedited, because it was such a good lecture. Mm-hmm. And the guide said, this is in the book, so then it's in the book. But their response was, well, we think we have a very good personality, thank you very much, uh-huh. but it's a construct, and that it's a way of our, we, essentially, we don't need it to be able to, to communicate, but it's an effective way of being in communication with you, just like we don't need to wear socks but we can if we choose. Right. But they talked about character and personality being different things. And they talked about personality as being sort of our own personal picadillos. You know, I like my coffee black. I like blondes better than brunettes. You know, I vote this way as opposed to that way, whatever, as opposed to character, which they seem to say is the essential self. And they equated that more to like color having character as opposed to personality. You know, uh, you have a feel from the color blue as opposed to the blue has a personality itself. Yes, I love that. I think, though, to effectively communicate personality is 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 very important. I mean, if you think about it, it is like I, I know in Kabbalah, they'll teach a lot of, oftentimes. Like I remember one of the lessons I got there was they say on, and then on the first day, God like said, let mm-hmm. there be light. Mm-hmm. But really, they teach there. No, they said, let there be language. You know, that's word. where yeah. that's where it all comes from. Every all, you know, your inspirations, your ideas mm-hmm. all happen through language. Yeah. And I think the interesting part was, you know, when you have Checha, I think is the name of it, where you have the idea and that's the most divine. It's up mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And that's just the inspiration. Uh-huh. And then as it comes down to Malkut, I think is at the bottom. That's a physical manifestation of an idea. And that's mm-hmm. the least divine. Mm-hmm. The actual physical manifestation mm-hmm. of it here on Earth. Mm-hmm. But I know that number three, I think it's called Bina. As you come down and that's like where the idea takes life and that happens through metaphor. The mm-hmm. way that we understand things mm-hmm. is through mm-hmm. metaphor. So it's the when you're talking about personality, I was I find it highly effective in terms of communicating ideas mm-hmm. 
change anything like that. If you yeah. talked in a monotone or if they mm-hmm. spoke in a monotone. Well, but person, you see, I, th- I think we're talking about personality as different things, though, then. Because everything that I'm not a student of Kabbalah. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I just learned from what you were saying, and I'm going, wow, that sounds like what the guides would say. Although they don't talk about what's most divine and least divine, they talk perhaps about what's operating at a higher vibration as opposed to a lower one. I don't think they say most, but I think they say closest to the creator would be the inspiration. That makes sense. Yeah. But I think when they're talking about personality as as a construct, they're making a distinction between who we truly are and who we think we are. And we tend to think of ourselves as personalities or, you know, we interrelate through the personality self. Mm-hmm. And a big part of their teaching is about the truth of who we are being the divine, being the divine self. When you spoke about language, the guide's first book is called I Am the Word. And the word is the same teaching of, of claiming into being. It's the divine principle that becomes made manifest. And you can call that language, I suppose, although the guides unpack that in their own way. So I don't think they're knocking personality, but they're saying that's not who we truly are. But it's a good way well, to communicate. You do need it to get around. You know, I, I guess I got to say, though, lo- sort of looking at it from this perspective, though, mm-hmm. it's it seems to me when Beth booked you mm-hmm. for our show, who is your agent, I, I started watching some of your videos yeah. and I, I was like, you're really charismatic, not just when you're channeling, but it seems to me, I guess, that... I guess, is this a fair question to ask? Like, were you sort of chosen to be uh, the voice for these guides? Does that resonate as truth? talked about a little bit. I mean, they said that it's an agreement. They've said a couple of things. It It was an agreement that we made. They also said, and I agree, I don't think I asked to be a channel. I don't think I even necessarily believed in channeling. It wasn't my interest um, I was raised sort of an atheist, to be right. honest with you. And, so. and that's where I'd kind of want to just uh, yeah. stop and back up a second sure. for for our listeners is, uh-huh. can you tell us how this all began? Because yeah. it, it really began, I, I guess we should even begin before the beginning, which is mm-hmm. you're an academic yeah. and a playwright and, mm-hmm. a, and a professor in New York City. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. can we just sort of move forward from there? I'll move forward from there. I can tell you if you want. You want to know how this all came to be? Well, you, or I, I know from interviews yeah. and from things mm-hmm. that are on your website yeah. that you sort of had a, a moment in your life yeah. where you were you basically sort of threw up your hands. And, I did. Yeah, and I said had a, yeah. I need I need some answers. I didn't need some answers. I don't. I think I needed to know that whatever pain I was in wasn't for the rest of my life. And I had a list of things that I had, to, I had to achieve that I thought would make me okay in the world. I was 25. I had wanted a master's from Yale. I got it. I was a playwright. I wanted to be produced in like London and New York. I got it. I wanted to be reviewed well in the Times. I got it. I wanted publication. I got it. I wanted to be in the newcomer section of Interview Magazine, which was the hot mag in the day, so I could get a hot date. I got it. And I was not okay. Now okay. I'm getting depressed. This is starting to sound like bragging, Jeff. No, but this is the end of it. The funny thing, well, that's, that's what it looked like. The funny thing is I was a train wreck and I wasn't okay. And none of these things made me okay. And I wasn't happy doing them. And, you know. But see, that's the thing. I think that that is really so many people's experience. Yeah, I think it is too. You know, but I was also... I get all of these things, and yet I'm you, still empty. Like the, you, Jordan Burroughs, he wins the Olympic gold medal, said he went into to a massive depression after he... Yeah, yeah, yeah but you better. think these things, I thought these things would make me okay in the world, and I wasn't okay. I was a bit of a lush. I was, you know, 
deeply unhappy. It had been most of my life. And I was working on an, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I was, I was doing an opera. I was working, I had written an opera with somebody and I was working on that in Minnesota. And I was staying, I had been booked into the Gopher Campus Motor Lodge in St. Paul where they have a giant gopher. Yes, yes, me and Jeff know it well. You do. (laughs) They had a giant gopher spinning on a spit outside my window. And when you got the bed spins already, that's pretty a pretty nasty thing to see. Uh And, you know, it was really one of those funny moments, really, when I look back at it, you know, and like the Gideons leave these Bibles in the drawer. It's the last thing I ever would have dragged out, but I did. And it said, prayer for people in crisis. And I went, okay, well, I have a crisis. And I said it. And then I think I went to bed. That was really it. And I, about three days later, for me, it's almost always three days. Like three days later, something happens. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time. Now that's the MO. I heard a voice telling me to get my act together. And I, I did. Um, so I saw, I hadn't, but when you say you heard a voice, you literally heard a voice. No, it was a different, and that's what, that's what I think people, you said, I'm a clear audience and there's different kinds of clear audience. Some people hear a voice in the room that's not there. You know, that's not how I hear it, how I hear and have always heard. It's as if an idea comes to the forefront of your mind that is not what you would have been thinking of, and in my case, with a different texture than my own thinking. And is that the is that the whisper that that's precedes? The, well, the whisper, that's, yeah, when I channel, I'm a little odd because I whisper the words as they come and then I repeat them in a louder voice that people can hear. Sometimes I work directly and I, there's no whisper at all, but... When I, this is how I've described, and this is jumping ahead until I begin to develop, because I wouldn't have called that clear audience. That was just like somebody or something getting through my thick skull saying, you need to get some help and you need to get your act together. And I was like, whoa. Right. You know, when I started working later, I started doing energy work. I started studying to be a healer because I was opening up psychically and I didn't know what the hell to do with it. I mean, that was just too nuts for me. But I found that if I had my hands on somebody, I would start to access information for them. You know how you how always have like a buzz of chatter in your head? Just You know, it's just sort of there, you know, most of the time. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I had a very loud head, but occasionally I'd have my hand on somebody. And if you have your hand on somebody's heart and all of a sudden you hear the name Philip or you go Texaco Station... And I'm going, why am I, th- I don't know a Philip and I don't even, I don't even drive. I'm a New Yorker. Right. Why am I hearing Texaco station? And then I learned finally to say, just like, and I'm just, this is just, I'm making up the example of Texaco station, but it's been other things just like it. And I say, what does a Texaco station mean to you? And the person would gasp. Right. And they were raped at a Texaco station when they were 16 years old. And that's what needed to move. And that would move the energy. But very often it would be a name, you know. Okay. And so what I started to do was to trust that voice that would sort of pierce through the chatter. And that was the beginning of the clear audience. And now I can say it was the beginning of the ability perhaps to be operating as a channel, which is something very, very different. Because, how does how does yeah. that voice pierce through? I mean, if if it's if it's chatter, I mean, obviously, when you sure. say like when you hear Texaco or something like that, that seems really random. Well, it does. It's it's that was the way to know the difference. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be my thought. A reading, and any good psychic will tell you this: the reading isn't for you; it's for the client. So I was once. I'll give you a bad example. I was once doing a reading for somebody who was having terrible fights with her family. And the whole time during the readings, I kept seeing a giant cable spool, you know, the kind like you'd lay cable with. 
And I didn't mean anything to me, so I didn't say it. Mm-hmm. And this whole family is falling apart, and I'm trying to work on the, this thing. And at the end of the session, I said, I don't know why this whole damn reading, I've been seeing a, a, a giant spool of cable. And the woman said, well, that's because this was all over a fight over the cable bill. And they charged <laughs> $2,000 worth of movie. It was like, and I'm going, oh. But I didn't say cable because it meant nothing to me. It wasn't supposed to mean anything to me. It was right. for them. So when I'm reading or when I'm working, and this is, again, psychically as opposed to channeling, I'm tuning into you, and I'm accessing information through from you or from the people you want to know about or from my guides about you. So it doesn't have to mean anything for, to me or for me unless they want to use a series of symbols that they've developed. Certain things always mean certain things because I've, I've, it's used consistently. Sure. Now, with channeling, here's how the channeling works, which is interesting to me. And it's, I, again, this has been developed over, over a number of years. I used to be a very heavy smoker. I used to be much heavier than I am now, too. So I was doing everything to numb my whole system. But, you know, when I quit four packs a day about 10 years okay. ago, my central nervous system was so open to sensation. I didn't realize I was intentionally doing everything, everything that a person can do to dull their sensitivity, I've managed to do in my life. Because I'm hypersensitive, and that's my ability. That's how I access information, is through my own feelings. Now, channeling, which is funny, when I started lecturing in channel, I really wasn't aware. Because people were saying, wow, that was really great. I wish we'd recorded it. And I was saying, I was there because the energy, when I work, there's an energy that comes through that's really physically palpable. The room can feel it. You know, people are opening up. They're getting clairvoyant. All these neat things start to happen around the work. Mm-hmm. For some people who are at that place where they're ready to open up. The information for me was always, oh, that. I wasn't that interested in the information. I never assumed that there would be books being channeled. But here's what it feels like. Imagine I'm sitting in the front seat of the car and I'm driving. And I decide that I'm going to go into the back seat and let you drive. You take the wheel. You're, when I'm channeling, I'm letting something else come forward that would be receded. I'm letting it come forward. I'm receding, or my personality self is receding to allow the transmission to come through. Which metaphorically is a good idea. In reality, it's a bad idea to let me drive. Oh, yeah. That's that's why I had Jeff pick you up. Uh, okay. But, well, now um, I know. Let me go back and ask yeah. you, uh, when you said the these guides said, get it together. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? I did. <laughs> I was I was so startled. I just knew it was a moment of knowing. In those early years, I only heard a couple of things that really were like big moments of, of knowing, like, oh, crap. And what the second you, time I didn't listen as, to it at all. What made you feel as though that was real and not just your imagination or, or another one of your but, own voices sort of chastising you? Because I have a voice in my head that's like, get it together. Get that day thing done. Nah, it's different than that. You see, one of the things the guides teach is knowing. They're really big on, on, on our being in our own knowing. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I really could care less. It's not what I think I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to be sort of the radio for this stuff. I mean, I'm like a radio and I'm picking up a broadcast. I'm, 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 read, I'm, I'm allowing it to come through. But imagine this. Here's an example. Think of something in your life or a time in your life where you knew something. Like, I knew my kid was sick. I knew the marriage was over. I knew I was in love. I knew I got the raise. What it was like just to know. And if you can go into like your own body for a moment and remember what it's like to know, 
Mm-hmm. There's a resonance. There's no question attached when you know something. There is no questioning. Now, if you want to do a comparative thing, and this is something the guides teach, so I can, I'm just doing their stuff now, a time in your life, like, I think this relationship is going to work out. I think the doctor's right about the kid. I think I got the raise, whatever. It's a very different feeling. Okay. You see, there's a question still that's attached. So when you're channeling, there's a knowing that's with it, which is really interesting. There's a woman named Helen Shookman who published a book called, I mean, she channeled a book called A Course in Miracles, which I actually haven't read. I tried many years ago, but I couldn't, I didn't get through it. Yeah. Um, but she's, she, there's a quote attributed to her that I love. And she said, you know, I don't believe it, but I know it's true. And that's how it feels. So when you're in your knowing and you have this moment of knowing, my guide say, actually, whenever you're really in your knowing about anything, you're actually required to act on it. That is the call to action. When you're thinking, that's not the call to action. That's your, when you're thinking, you don't know. They're two, two very different things. I think what I would say at that moment in my life is I knew. The second time I heard something, which was probably within a year later, I was madly in love with somebody who was completely inappropriate and wasn't interested in me and was putting up with my affections, I think. you know, I was 25, 26 years old, and I pretty much heard, get out of this. I heard it clear as day, and I didn't because I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And I paid fairly dearly for that, for not listening to, to... If I had left at that moment, I would have saved myself an enormous amount of pain. Right. But I didn't. So I've learned, for the most part, when the voice comes with that kind of a knowing, which isn't necessarily me channeling. I think this is the knowing that we all have access to when we have those moments. You can call it your intuitive self, but I think even having a hunch and really knowing something in a clear way. Like, you know when a relationship is over and you just know it? That's knowing. I think there's like, in terms of intuition, Mm -hmm. there's a way, like, it takes a certain quietness to get to. I was reading a story about Mm -hmm. they did this study where they took... uh, piles of blue cards and green and red cards and they put it out and they had lots of different uh, participants in it and they were all hooked up though to lie detector tests Mm -hmm. so they had the stuff in their hands and all the vital signs and they had to make winning hands so they found out like after 50 cards after everybody had pulled 50 cards every single person realized that when you picked from the blue decks you made winning hands when you picked from the red decks you didn't make winning hands Mm -hmm. But at seven or eight cards, everybody's polygraph was going off the charts whenever they went towards the red cards. So the intuitive self mm-hmm. had figured things out at seven or eight cards. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the rational mind, the, the logical side of the mind, was fixing things up uh, or was understanding things not till six or seven times mm-hmm. longer. See, I think, the, you know, I think it's really interesting. I don't think that the, you see, one of the things my guides teach a lot about is history and that we're not our history. That's really not who we are. Mm-hmm. That's a relief. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> but also that we're... It leaves con- imprints, though. Well, yes, yeah. but it's how we act on those imprints in some ways is how we're recreating our history in the present, in the present time. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the things that they move out. So they would say, I think, and I'm assuming this, yes, we would. And they're saying, yes, we would. But the intuitive self or the or the true self or the divine self, whatever you want to call it, isn't necessarily operating through the same system that your rational thinking or the the entrenched thinking would be, you know, would because that's habituated or programmed in many ways. We're all told, for example, that what it means to be successful is X, Y, or Z, or what it means to be beautiful is X, Y, or Z, or 
you know, and and we actually accept these things for the most part, where they have, in fact, possibly very little to do with us and what might make us happy. But we end up perpetuating those because we've been imprinted with them. Hmm. And to the extent that we do that, we're actually operating in a very limited way, and we're giving our innate authority to be the one in choice to what other people have chosen for us. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of something that you said, or or maybe it was your guides. And I, I had to write it down because what you said was very yogic. You said, who we think we should be has very little to do with who we are. Yeah. I just was dumbfounded when I read that, and mm-hmm. it just it just sounded like something that would be written in a, a book about yoga. Yeah, I've heard, you know, the teachings that are coming through. I have a friend who says these are like the Vedic teachings, you know, and they're very, they very much remind yes. her of those. And that's the tradition she comes from. I just spent a week at Esalen. Co- I was channeling, and I was co-facilitating a month-long workshop with this guy, Jeffrey Kripal, who's a, a wonderful author, and he's the, uh, the head of the religious studies department at Rice University, and he's an expert on religions. And he was actually studying the work that my guides are doing and trying putting them in context and said, you know, he said, you know, this is Christian mysticism. It's from the second century, this stuff that's coming out, you mm-hmm. know. And I'm, I wasn't trained in this stuff, really, with the exception of reading New Thought stuff when I was in my late 20s, early 30s for a couple of years. I don't read other channel works. I don't, I'm, I don't ascribe to a religion, you know, personally. But I often hear that the stuff coming through the guides has a familiarity to it. And I, the response I would give to that, or that the guides would give, I think, yes, say it. They're saying, yes, say it. They're saying, you know, truth is truth. Truth doesn't change. The guides say a lot of times in, in their new book, they say, you know, what we're teaching you is truth, and truth is not born in the fashion of the times. It's one of the reasons they see that they don't use the language of science. I'm relieved they do because I'm scared of science. I flunked it, you know, probably right. or got a D in high school. But because the language of science that we would use now is, is going to be rendered meaningless in 200 years. We're going to have different names for everything. So when they talk about truth, they're talking about the things that are always true. And they're saying the truth of who you are is always the same, which is your divine self. Our science, which is materialistic still, and I think that will change in time. You see, what I do, some of the stuff that I do, I think can be proven. Um, I would love to get wired up if somebody ever wants to do that and do the tests on it. Because when I'm working empathically, which means if I'm tuning into your ex and I start to resemble your ex and you go, oh my God, you look just like my ex, there's actually something that's happening that I perceive can be measurable. And I've been filmed doing this and intercut with people in other locations, and I'm looking just like them. I mean, to the point where, uh, you know, there was a kid that I was asked to read from. I didn't know what was wrong with him, but he had cerebral palsy, and you see me on camera, you know, moving into a whole somatization of his body, and I didn't know what was wrong. Not until halfway through the episode, because I didn't know what was causing it. I didn't know whether I had an angry kid or a sick kid. This kid kept screaming, to me, I kept hearing this kid saying, you can hear me, you can hear me. And I was reading for his mother, and she's saying, I can't. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? This is a 13-year-old. Is he? And I was interpreting it through my history, like as if, oh, that means she doesn't understand him. She couldn't hear him. The kid's never spoken a word in his life. Wow. But I was hearing him. And I was hearing him without the facility of language 
that's born in the physical body. So there are ways that we're always an interchange, all of us, I think, that bypass this. I think science is going to get there. I really, really, really do. The downside to this to me, because I actually, you know, I I mean, it's, I've had amazing experiences. I know what it's like to have a hot flash. I've had them. I know what it's like to feel pregnant. It's freaky for me. I have had a lot of experiences of being in other bodies that somebody of my gender shouldn't know, but I felt it. And because I felt it, I can read it. And next time it happens, I go, oh, okay, you're pregnant. You know, because mm-hmm. I feel the weirdness in my, like having a zucchini in my belly. There's a, uh, there was a, a lady that you were telling us about, the lady who felt things so strongly that she couldn't watch a lot of films. She couldn't go out of the house. Yeah, because yeah, she, she literally felt everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's I, I've known people like that. I don't have that problem. I don't like crowds. I don't like stuff that's too loud. You know, I'm sensitive that way. But when somebody's pissed off at me, I tend to feel it. Or not when they're pissed, when they're talking about me. And I get, you know, you ever hear like your ears must have been ringing? Right. That's what it is. Those all white, my, my palms itch when money's coming in or going out too. Uh, right palm, it's going out. Left, it's coming in. It's, it's fail safe. These old things actually have meaning. So you're picking up on the thing you don't want and you're, you're warning yourself on some level, you know? That, that's what's going on. And I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Before. No, no, no. That's okay. I wanted to, to go back and, and just get a little clarity because uh, the one thing that I mentioned a moment ago mm-hmm. was you or the guides going uh, working through you said who we think we should yeah. be has very little to do with who yeah. we are. But then you also said, and I think that this is a big part of the work, is who you say you are mm-hmm. is who you are. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? I think so. Um, I may need to go to them at some point because there's a couple of different ways that I interpret that. Mm-hmm. The guides often say you are who you say you are because you're making a claim. And there, there are different levels of that. So the guides say that, for example, if I say I'm a lonely guy, you know, with, you know, without joy, then that becomes my claim and my life then moves in to reflect that. So we're always claiming identity and because we claim identity and we have the right to do that, we call to us the experience that affirms that. So That seems like a much more tangible explanation than than the law of attraction. Well, I, you know, I'm not a stu- I've not read the Hicks. So, I mean, I've, I've seen The Secret and I, I was helped by it. But I think beyond that, though... You see, if we're claiming ourselves as what the guides would call the small self, which is I'm the one who doesn't get his way, I'm the one who always gets it right, who's the best at everything, whatever the ego is claiming, they say that that's a frame or that's the window you look out of and that the window then calls to you the scenery or the experience that reflects what you claim. But that's been beyond the secret, beyond the law of attraction. I, I think that that's sort of one of those universal truths that's is. maybe going back, you know, yeah. forever, which but, is thoughts become things. Absolutely. But let's go even beyond that because I'm still talking about the personality self and its structure. When you start claiming the divine self, which is the guide's teaching, claiming the truth of who you are beyond the name that you were given at birth, they say the only reason you answer to the name you have is because somebody gave it to you once. It's not who you really are. Mm-hmm. The they, truth in of Kabbalah, who you are. they call that masks. It's always like yeah. take it like, and you know, we wear a lot of masks, yeah. like whether it be doctor so-and-so mm-hmm. or... You which, know, which aren't always necessarily bad. No, 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 not bad. They're just, they're, they're just kind of what makes it. And your name, the name is your identity, your height, your eye color, all those mm-hmm. things that create the identity. And there's like this uh, a, a, sort of a Kabbalic practice is the idea of stripping away your mask. Like if you were to, 
live on an island, not not want for food, water, mm-hmm. shelter, things like that. No longer, you're no mm-hmm. longer me. I'd never be, I wouldn't be Jeff. I wouldn't be the mm-hmm. son of Danny and Leslie, the brother to Jennifer and Cindy. Mm-hmm. My height wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you just keep on stripping it down yeah, and stripping yeah. it down. And basically all those masks took away. Well, I think I, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm not there yet. Yeah. But I also think what you would be describing is the part of the part itself that wants to die is the ego that's no longer getting affirmed by who he thinks he was. He's no longer being reflected back as all of those masks. Now, what my guy because teaches, you've you've said that the true self doesn't need approval. The true self doesn't. This is what they say. The guides say, yeah, the true the true self, the divine self as you, which is the eternal self, doesn't need approval doesn't know fear because it doesn't exist at that level. The aspect of you that is the divine self, my guides teach, is the true self. Now, the true self incarnated as you is still going to go by your name and still may like sushi. You know, it's not about losing those things, but it is about operating with a very different level of awareness of who you are and consequently, who everybody else is as well. And here's the big challenge, because my guides aren't teaching. I don't think they're teaching self-help, make yourself feel better through doing spiritual work. They're really asking us to reclaim our own divinity. And that's often, though, at the cost of who we've been taught to be. Uh, understood on that one. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I, so like, you know, I've heard say there, that you refer to it as the self Others might refer to it as soul. And then I've heard the equal, like the equal sign would be that awareness, mm-hmm. you know, like just being, just having that awareness is what it really comes down to mm-hmm. being aware that you're aware. Mm-hmm. But I think also it's sort of like, and I see that bumper sticker all the time, kill the ego. And I, I just, I, the way that I see it though is, is that's like saying, okay, the, the nervous system is more important than the pulmonary system, more important than the brain. I think mm-hmm. in terms of, of, us as human beings, that the ego is a part of us. I think the self is also a part of us. And I think it's sort of like this is, it's a, it's a, it's a family, sometimes not so happy family. But I think then the question becomes, and I'm not going to disagree with you, but the question then becomes who runs the show, who's driving, who's seeing. Right. When when my guides teach, they're teaching perception. Mm -hmm. Now, if I look at somebody, for example, and I go, oh, okay, look at them. They're that, they look like that kind of person. They drive that kind of car. I, you know, you're actually, all you're doing is claiming history and construct to them based on how you were taught. You're seeing none of the truth of who that person is. Mm-hmm. We're identifying at the most superficial level most of the time. When you can move beyond that, you begin to have another experience of identity. Now, I think that the personality is useful because it's one of the ways we get to learn through. And my guides say, we're just here to learn anyway. That's all this is about, is learning and developing. That's really it. But the idea, and I, you know, I, I grapple with this stuff too, and I'm really, I have not arrived, at, if there is an arrival point, and I don't know that there is. If I am able to understand the teaching that says that who each of us are, like it or not, regardless of appearance, is an aspect of the divine. That's who everybody is, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they present, regardless of what I was taught to think about them. My perception of them and my world changes. My guides say, you know, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. You just can't do it. 
I, it's I not put possible. that down in my notes, yeah. and that was the most powerful thing that uh, I've come to learn from you so far, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah. Well, I think, and, it, and we do that. We and, we do it out of convenience, and we're also instructed to do this. We're we're taught to do this. You know, my guides say, you know, we 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 can't conceive of a planet without war because we've always had it, and because of that, we're continuing to claim war. We continue to claim separation from everybody else because we don't. We've we've lost our own sense of our connectivity to source. So if I'm not connected to source, why should I be connected to anybody, anybody or anything else except those things that I've been taught to are acceptable or or prove of? Yeah, and I think the guys would probably say that knowing and belief are two different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the idea still, you see, there's I think that there's layers of this. First of all. You know, I'm sitting at this side of the table, you're on the other, and there's a sense of separation already. But I can, if, if one of my guides pretty much say that all, all that sort of separates us from other countries is, is an imaginary line that somebody once drew in the sand. That's really it. Yeah. So the idea that we are separate from anybody else, finally, I think is something that they would possibly talk about in a very different way than we would casually. Because yes, while it's true, I'm here and you're there, and that's this reality, and that's what we're we're we're, we're, we're quote unquote reality. To. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, the, the the old Vedic uh, teachings would they call all this Maya? Yeah, it's an illusion. Yeah, you know, it's an illusion that we're separate. Yeah, it's an illusion that that person is my enemy, and then that person's my friend. Exactly right. Well, the thing I think that you'll see there though is I think if you go look at the Quran, you go look at Maya, or you go look at the the Vedas, if you go into the second century. What's that? Vedas. Vedas, sorry. <laughs> the the second century Christian mystics, things uh-huh. like that. You go look at Spinoza wrote in the 16th century, his philosophies, and they said that this looks like plagiarism of stuff that was going on in India at the same yeah. exact time, but he had no influence from India at mm-hmm. all. I think that there's great wisdoms. I think there's one way. There is literally one way. And however we want to, it's all going to come back to the same source whether it be your, the guides, mm-hmm. whether it be the, the ancients from India or from the, mm-hmm. the Eastern philosophies or Jesus Christ yeah. or whoever. I think they all funnel, like the bottleneck will all come to the same identical place. Well, yeah, when I, when I embraced a spirituality that made sense to me, that became one of my f- first tattoos. I think it's on my left arm. It says, many paths, one mm-hmm. truth. Yeah, I think that there are many paths too. I think I mean my guides use a metaphor. You know, they got a, there's another book coming out in January called The Way of Mastery, and they talk about them. They use I mean it's a typical metaphor, but they use a mountain for 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 the metaphor for the journey. But you know, there's a lot of different ways up a mountain, and exactly. that can be. And I've said and I've said that you know, in yoga a lot. Yeah. But there's there's only one there's only one top, but there's a lot of ways exactly to get there. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and what you want to name it in many ways is is informed by culture. And what we've been taught. I mean, my guides say that what they're teaching is coming through other teachers or other mediums in different languages, in different places in the world, because you know it's the same stuff, but it's going to be it's going to reach people in different ways, mm-hmm. and that's as it should be. And culturally, that you're right, they're going to have different ways they go about different things. I think the problem happens again with beliefs when you start telling a culture that they should do things away. Yeah. That's that's again that whole belief system that just uh-huh. I think screws with stuff because I just know like you have a Bedouin culture in the Middle East and you start trying to bring, I don't know, mm-hmm. democratic system. Let's just say they're trying to push that on them. And it's like for thousands of years, culturally, they do things mm-hmm. their way. Mm-hmm. I think that's when a lot of problems take place when you mess with culture. I think 
I don't know whose place it is to mess with culture. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that has always made sense to me. I I, I don't claim this as my wisdom. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just don't remember where I heard it. I remember the idea that selfish is not wanting to live your life the way you want to live it. Selfish is when you want other people to live their lives the way you live yours. And that's where a lot of that conflict comes from, Mm. you know. One of the things that got me very excited when I uh, have looked at your books and such was knowing that you have another one coming out. And Mm. when I learned that it was called... The Book of Mastery, Mm -hmm. because Jeff and I love the word mastery, Mm -hmm. because mastery is something that you're always Mm -hmm. working towards. It's not something that you'll ever attain and be able to hold on to. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. at least that's the way I've always understood it. Mm -hmm. So I guess before we talk about that, Mm -hmm. and I think that that would be a good place to finish, just sort of have you uh, give a synopsis of the three books Sure. Why they were written in that order mm-hmm. and, and what each one really sort of deals with. I mean, I'll do my best with this. I mean, this is my interpretation. The book, I Am the Word, which is the first book, which I think the subtitle is A Guide to the Consciousness of Man's Self in a, tra- in a Transitioning Time, is really, they call it the teaching of embodiment. And it's about the reclamation of the self as they call the word. And the word, they define it as the energy of the creator in action. And it's an energetic text that works on the reader. So all the books are actually. And if you go to Amazon, you read the reviews, people are saying, you know, I'm reading the book and my whole body is vibrating. And the guides say that all of the books are operating on multiple levels. So the words in the page, which will give you an intellectual context, but the words they say are encoded and that there is a whole vibrational experience that happens when people read it. It's really opening them and helping them to lift. Mm-hmm. So the first book, I Am the Word, is Embodiment. The second book, The Book of Love and Creation, in many ways is a manual for operating at that level. The third book, which is The Book of Knowing and Worth, um, which came out in last December, they call that the teaching of incarnation. So you embody and now you move into your being or your expression of that. And they call that, you know, I know who I am. This is the teaching of that book. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. And they say who you are is an aspect of the divine, what you are in this incarnation, in, this, in these relationships, in this life you're living. How you serve or how anybody is served is how you're most fully expressed as your divine self. That was a trilogy of books. That was the first trilogy. They've started another trilogy. The first one was just, I just finished, I just delivered it to the editor the first of this month. So, so I, barely I remember, read I remember uh, you saying that your guides had, had told you you need to let this book come forth and, yeah. and that it was going to be three books. It was three were, books. Were, were you surprised when they said, hey, we got some more? Yes and no. You know, my, um, I was last July and I was looking forward to a nice long break on this. And I didn't think that there was anything else for them to teach. I figured that was everything and I just get to go do my thing now. And my, my literary agent called me and she said, you know, they're, they're, you know your editor's saying you know, that it's, it's about time for something new. And I sort of said, well, I don't think so because, you know, they're, they're not teaching anything new. And then I heard, no, there's three more books and, you know, we're going to start the new teachings in the fall. They actually started before the fall. They started right away with the stuff that's in the new book. So they're not stopping. I don't get that they're stopping at all. You ever ask them what they do with their day? No, because I, I, I don't know. It, it, I, don't I don't think don't. they have a day. <laughs> yeah, I, my experience of them 
I'm playing tennis. My experience of them is this consciousness. You know, I don't, there's a whole slew of questions that I don't ask, you know, and occasionally somebody else will ask, and I'll be very surprised that they're more than happy to answer. Um, you know, my experience of them primarily is as teachers and good teachers and loving teachers and teachers that are really able to support people in their own evolution. What that means or who they truly are or what level of, of consciousness they exist in, they call it the Christ consciousness, which is what they say, they say they operate, which they say is a level of vibration, you know, is, is great. But, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm a student of the work myself. I don't quite know why this has all happened. This is not the life I expected to be living. If somebody told me I'd be sitting with you guys doing this six years ago, I would have thought, well, that's probably, you you, you got somebody else. Mm -hmm. But I didn't anticipate channeling texts. And now there'll be, you know, if these keep up, there'll be at least two more in the next three years. So I'm hoping they have more to say. They sure did with the last book, I'll tell you. And the Book of Mastery, in many ways, is really about claiming, in a lot of ways, I think it's about claiming independence mm -hmm. um, from everything that we would move into agreement with limitation about, which is who we think we are in accordance with other, what other people think. And, and one of those important limitations that I think we touched upon before we mm -hmm. went on air was the, the idea that divinity is something that you don't need to get from someone else. It doesn't yeah. come from the rabbi. It doesn't come from the priest. It's your birthright. It, it's, it's who your birthright. you are. It's who you are regardless of what you think. And the guides, when they do their workshops, they'll often say this, you know, you are an aspect of the divine no matter what you think. These words are all, when you claim, I know who I am, and you're claiming your divinity at that level, it's actually you're always claiming a truth because you can't be anything other than that. Mm -hmm. You can think you are, but you know, we get to a point where we kind of know we're not our bodies or we, we're not our, our, our genes. We're not our sexual preferences. We're not any of those things. There are ways of it's, identifying It sounds like you're, you're channeling Tyler Durden there from Fight Club. Oh, really? <laughs> I, you know, I saw the movie. I liked it a lot. We, we, we're not the contents of our wallet. You're not what yeah, you drive. It's all yeah. that stuff. We can, we can get there. But what we were not really given, I sure, I sure as hell wasn't. I didn't even know what a spiritual life was because I lived, I lived in a world where that was for other people. I wouldn't even have occurred to me to ask for that. I, well, I always thought it was religion. I didn't know that there yeah. was a difference yeah. between religion and spirituality. I just yeah. thought those were one and the same. The way that I see it is there's God and sin. And sin just means that you're missing the mark. I think literally That's translates literally what it means, to missing yeah. the mark. And I think God is just a term for hitting the mark. When you're joyful, when you're when you're when you're genuine, when you're happy. Mm. When you're all those things, I think that that's the opposite of sin. It's God. When you have ecstasy, I think that's just, that's God. And I remember, then sin is the other way. I remember reading a book years ago, and it was, uh, it was about God as an acronym, which was G-O-D, Guiding Organizing Design. You know, having had this conversation with you, Paul, mm -hmm. and me being able to see some parallels between sort of ancient Vedic wisdom, mm -hmm. you know, there is this idea from the Vedas that in the beginning there was just the, the creator, there's just creation. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love to maybe see if if we could channel an answer. If Is that possible? I don't know. My, my question is, that uh, this ancient Vedic wisdom says that in the beginning there was just creation, but mm. it, it was it had no ability to really see or reflect on itself. Mm. 
So it shattered itself into billions of pieces Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that like a mirror so that each part could reflect on Mm -hmm, itself mm -hmm. and then learn more by being Mm -hmm. able to look at itself. Mm -hmm, Balas mm -hmm. is the same identical. Does it? Identical. Okay. Um, Could you speak to that? I just get that it's accurate. It's a way way of understanding what you are, what and who you are within a context. Within a context, but any context, but any context has been created, has been created as a way to understand as a way to understand what is unknowable, what is unknowable. So the answer you ask for. So the answer you ask for, is this so? Is this so? We will say, of course it's so. We will say, of course it's so. It can only be so. It can only be so at the level of recognition, at the level of recognition that you can hold and understand through, that you can hold and understand through as you develop. As you develop, it's beyond mask, and as you move beyond the mask, the way of understanding yourselves and consequently world, and the ways of understanding yourselves and consequently world, and consequently, your world, you have access to great information. You have access to great information, great truth, great truth, but it can only be understood. But it can only be understood at the level of comprehension, at the level of comprehension that you can attend to, that you can attend to. So the teaching is accurate, yes. So the teaching is accurate, yes, as a metaphor, as a metaphor for something much greater, for something much greater that cannot be answered, that cannot be answered in a way that you can comprehend in a way that you could even comprehend through the identity, through the identity that you've accessed thus far, that you have accessed thus far. That is not to say, that is not to say that this will not be learned, that this will not be learned and revealed and revealed as you're ready for it, as you are ready for it. We thank you for the question. They're saying we thank you for the question. That was amazing. Whoa. Oh, cool. I got goosebumps there. That was really, really cool. Let's ask some more questions. (laughs) You, no, you're. <laughs> I, I know what questions you no, want to ask. Asking, so. Yeah, I guess I want to finish mm-hmm. by asking you a really a simple question, which is: Can you speak to the shift mm-hmm. that you are being taught is coming? I mean, I suppose I can. I can try to quote them a bit. They've said different things. Um, in the first book, they say that mankind is at a time of reckoning. And they say that a reckoning is a facing of and that we're being asked to face our own creations. And they say everything that's been created in fear is going to need to be recreated in a higher way. They also say, you know, that we have in fear um, and they say, you know, in, 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 you know in, in the claim of keeping ourselves safe have created the means for our own destruction. And they say that it's insane if you think about it. I mean, we've made bombs that can kill everybody in the name of staying safe. It's just nuts, mm-hmm. truly nuts. So what they're saying is, is that people are waking up now, and we are waking up, and they say that the species itself is actually in shift. They say that some of the things that I do, and a lot of my work is essentially telepathic, you know, and I'm really not that special. I'm really, really not. I think that I my availability to this makes it possible for other people in some ways, but they say that this is the way we're going. You know, the species itself is 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 at a time of evolution. Let me see if they want to say anything else about this, because we will say this. They're saying we will say this as you stand before yourselves. As you stand before yourselves, as you witness the lives you have lived thus far, as you witness the lives you have lived thus far, you have the opportunity to make a new choice. You have the opportunity to make a new choice about who and what you are about who and what you are and who the one beside you is, and who the one beside you is, regardless of what you think of them as you reclaim your own worth. As you reclaim your own worth, your own divine birthright, your own divine birthright, you begin to create a world. 
you begin to create a world that is righteous, that is in reflection of this, and that is the kingdom we say. And that is the kingdom we say, or the kingdom of the divine, or the kingdom of the divine that manifested here, that may be manifested here as you awaken your true nature, as you awaken to your true nature. We are here to shepherd this. We are here to shepherd this as we are allowed, as we are allowed, as we are intended to, as we are intended to, and we do this in love. And we do this in love in the same period. That's the answer. What are, what are their thoughts on God? It's all that is. All that is. God is all that is. They say God is everything, even in the things you say. Or you said anything that you put outside of the light calls you right to it. So the real opportunity or the challenge is to see the divine in all, in all things, regardless of what presents. And it's, it changes things because when you witness the divine in something that you would perceive to be in lower vibration, you actually lift that thing its true nature and that's how the world gets changed by perceiving the divine in all things that's what changes the world and what about their thoughts say on suffering suffering's optional you know pain is pain mm-hmm. they don't say that it's it's a requirement for spiritualization but you know they're also saying this isn't necessarily a teaching about feeling great all the time you know you're, you you they say you know all you all think this is about being happy but being happy for most of you they would say is about you being in your comfort right you know and that's I, not how things change i definitely resonate with that there isn't any growth that doesn't come without irritation yeah you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's like the it's from a workout perspective mm-hmm. exactly the muscle has to suffer yeah mm-hmm. well i gotta say uh i've I've been excited to meet you. I've been wow. excited to have you come to Denver and speak to us. And having had the opportunity to do so, I got to just say, like, I don't know what it is. There's a little bit of a giddy euphoria in me. Mm. I just feel very inspired oh, by having met you and talked to you. Wow. And again, I want to say something that we spoke about about halfway through the podcast, which I just think this is just a game changer for me personally, is you can't be in the light and hold others in darkness. I'm going to remember that for a long time. I loved meeting you. Like, I just enjoyed it so much. It was a pleasure to meet you and to uh, have been able to be uh, near your your power and light. Well, thank you. I'm pleased to be with both of you as well. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. everybody. I can tear up too. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) This is Scott Anderson for Warrior Academy. And Jeff Suskin. Have a great day, everybody.